Welcome, this is the Change Creator Podcast. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show where we are redefining good business. I am extremely excited today because we are talking with the famous Seth Godin. He's an author of over a dozen books. He's an entrepreneur. He's a marketing master. He is a, uh, a leader and most of all, a great teacher. Uh, you might have heard of his book, The Purple Cow. Um, he's also a very big speaker. He speaks around the world and um, I heard recently heard one of his talks that he did a while ago over for uh, convert kit which was super cool it was about mass marketing and how that can create average products but today we are going to focus on leadership what is the leadership of tomorrow and that name that title right there that is the title of the new magazine change Creator magazine is releasing its 16th edition with mr godin on the cover and we focus on the leadership of tomorrow it is june June 15th right now for whoever's listening, whenever you're listening. And we are releasing that magazine today in the app. So keep an eye out. It is a big one and it's full of powerful content and insights. Guys, I'm going to just jump right into this without any further updates and news. Let's start talking to Seth and see what he has to say. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Seth, thank you so much for joining the Change Creator Podcast show. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic, but getting better. How about you? <laughs> same, same. Always doing better every day. <laughs> um, so listen, I just want to break the ice a little bit and just find out, like, what are you working on today? What's going on? Well, I'm doing some writing. Uh, I'm working on a new project that I haven't talked much about. And um, also, we're working hard with the people inside the marketing seminar. We've got two of those actively going on right now. So plenty to do. Awesome. And so I, I really wanted to chat with you today about leadership as a real focus of this conversation. And I love what you're doing with the all MBA program. And one of the videos that you talk about there is, you know, how the education space is changing that piece of paper. It's not as important. And I see that as one thing that is culturally changing. Um, so I kind of want to just tap a little bit into um, where you see leadership as where it was and how it it's evolving today and where it's going. And I'm, I was curious on your thoughts about that. Leadership and management are not the same thing. They couldn't be more different. Uh, management's about authority. It's about industrialism. It's about getting people to do what you need them to do. That's how school is built. School can't work without management. You can't put 400 teenagers in a building and hope that things will go for the best. Leadership, on the other hand, is about exploration. It's about enrollment. It's about getting people to want to do what you need them to do. It's about going to places you're not sure are going to work and exploring. And leadership is our big challenge in the world today. We got plenty of management. Managers are better than ever, but we have a leadership shortage. Right. And, and now, do you think that culturally, now, I, I'm a big fan of human behavior and understanding why people do what they do. Um, and so, you know, I, I become a believer that culture is a really big driver. It's this external condition that creates behavior in people. So is there old leadership habits that we're breaking? Um, you know, like, for example, there's been a real change in how people think about you know what role businesses play in the world and what they what they should do morally and things like that. So, do you see this le leadership role uh, taking on new characteristics? 
Well, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture <laughs> is, is the driver of just about everything. And it's important to remember that for 100 years, capitalism and manufacturing created enormous amounts of value just by showing up. Yeah. That we were really busy making stuff. That needed to be done. And today, when you can buy something with one-click shopping that gets shipped to you by FedEx from a place in China that you're never going to go for seven cents less than you could get it somewhere else, well, we don't need you to be better at manufacturing. We've got that covered. The mindset going forward and what the culture is realizing is that businesses have so much leverage, we have so much freedom, we have so much um, power that it ought to come with responsibility. And the responsibility is to make a difference and to do work that you're proud of. I love that. And I I see that more. A lot of people come to us. I mean, we've literally had, whether it's a litigation lawyer or an SEO expert, they're coming to us and saying, I really want to get in the social impact space and I want to do work that I'm excited about, that matters to me, and I want to serve other people. And that's one of the things I love hearing from you because in some of your videos, you talk about how you need to think about the impact and the change you want to have and how you want to transform other people's lives. So that was something that really attracted me to the programs that you're running. Um, And so speaking of these young entrepreneurs and getting started, I guess, you know, one of the things that they tell us is they have imposter syndrome. So there, there, is there some ideas that you might be able to share that can help people say, listen, if you're just getting started, here's how you overcome that imposter syndrome and start stepping into a leadership role. We spend a lot of time in the 30 days of the Alt-MBA working very directly on this idea of leadership and imposter syndrome. Mm. But what you have to understand is it's not a syndrome, it's true. We all are imposters. And what makes us imposters is we are saying that we know what to do next when it's impossible to know what to do next. That if you start something, invent something, create something, sell something, market something, you are an imposter because you can't be sure. It's not like you're a physicist who says force is always going to be equal to mass times velocity. That we are asserting that we are not proving, we are asserting. And we have to be comfortable saying, you know what, this might not work. And the idea that it might not work frees us up. It frees us up to do important work. And the reason that that litigation lawyers or SEO experts get stuck is because they want proof and they want a guarantee. But you don't get either one of those when you're making a difference. You're not a manager. You're a leader. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, I think people are also coming out of, you know, they have a lot of school debt and they're very fearful of putting an investment in and losing it. So to your point, they almost want to make it a sure thing. And if they don't have that evidence of a sure thing, they get paralyzed in some way. Right. But you instead spend $275,000 <laughs> going to law school for three years, counting opportunity cost, or 250 at business school. That's the opposite of a sure thing. That's a sucker bet. Because it's not going to work. We know it's not going to work if work means make you happy, if work means make a difference. So this is actually something that feels risky, but is quite safe. And it is, who can you connect? Who can you lead? What can you make better? How can you do it again? 
Yes, I love that. It's true. I debate this with my wife all the time because she has a degree from Cornell. And I was, I'm always thinking, this is not the best educational process anymore. You can come out of there. There is no short thing. And plus, why would you want to get a job in today's world when you have so much opportunity to basically, like you said, become a leader and do something that's very significant? I think, you know, today's one of the best times to become an entrepreneur with the technology we have and all the accessibility to people. So it's really an exciting time. Um, you know, one of the things I'd love to hear about is now that you're running these workshops and you've been going through this with people, I guess, how do you compare your educational experience? You know, I always believe that the schools, the way they do it now is not the best way to learn. So what are you doing differently in all MBA that is a, a good learning experience for people this, with the, uh, what, what you're doing? Well, we do everything differently. We have no, we have no lectures. We have no homework. We have no tests. We have no certificate. We are proudly not accredited. You do not do this to get an A because there isn't any A. And if you ask, will this be on the test? We make a face at you. That the entire mindset of school is that it's a version of work, meaning do as little as you can get away with. But we're trying to do art. And if you're making art, it's not how little can I do, it's how much can I do. And that's why we call it a workshop, because it's not a school. I'm not in it. There aren't videos of me in it. It's 13 or 14 projects done with groups, faster than you thought possible, producing more than you thought you could, publishing it, having people interact with it, getting more feedback, giving more feedback, engaging with people, with coaches all over the world. We have a completion rate of 97 percent the typical online course has a completion rate of five percent so how did we do that you know how do we do 19 times better the answer is we're not doing what they do we're not saying we have secret information and if you learn it we'll give you an a we're saying there is no secret information but you will become what you do so let's do this it's a work shop because we actually do work together. Yeah. And, and that is something that I, I, I love about that is it's hands-on experience. And it seems to me that is the best way to learn. There, there is no better education than, you know, traveling the world, getting out there, doing things, experimenting. So it sounds like a really great program uh, for people to get that kind of networking and experience. So I guess, does it talk about one of the things that I think people struggle with is, okay, I want to start this business and I have this idea and I'm willing to really gut it out, but how do I get people on board? How do I enroll people in my vision of what I'm doing? Any, any thoughts about that? It, it turns out that original ideas are dramatically overrated hmm. and that what it takes to succeed is not an original idea, but the ability to do what you just mentioned as a side effect, that if you can earn enrollment, if you can say to people over there, I want to go over there. Do you see what it's like over there? Do you want to go over there with me? That is how education happens. That's how change happens. That's how the culture is shifted. So the approach of here's my new idea. Do you like it? Is it going to work? That's frustrating because we're programmed to not like new ideas. Mm. On the other hand, here's a change in the state, a change in our posture, a change in the world I would like to make. Do you want to help me make that change? 
that's a very different thing to offer people. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. And I think you hit the nail on the head. We we also spoke with Russell Brunson. He said something very similar. He's, you know, you don't want to just do an iteration of what already exists. You want to give people the idea of doing something bigger and different and say, hey, we're going over here. This is where it's at. Come join us. And, and it sounds like you're saying the same thing. You know, one of the things that goes on inside the Alt-MBA is we have people from Amazon and Microsoft and Chobani and Lululemon, mm. that, but we also have people who were, you know, roadies for the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, people who have run small companies, and plenty of freelancers. We had an 80-year-old woman from the Isle of Man wow. named Sheila, uh, and we've had 22-year-olds. It turns out what people do isn't nearly as important as what they believe and who they see themselves as in the mirror. And if you can find those fellow travelers, it's not networking in the sense that one day they'll, you know, invest with you. It's networking in the sense that you will see other people like you and realize that if they're capable of going to those places that you're afraid of, you might be as well. Right. So you're basically leading by example in a sense, right? You're... Your, the generosity of connecting with people and giving them feedback and helping them pays off far more than the selfish hustle of, please do this for me. Right. And I get, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people talk about, oh, you have to give value and then, you know, people will work with you and all that kind of stuff. But it seems like a lot of people are getting into this negative space of having an expectation of something in return. And that's the only reason that they're doing it. So to your point, it becomes this selfish act in a sense. Yeah, reciprocity has been abused widely. You know, <laughs> yes. the, the, the idea that if you open the door for someone, they'll hustle to open the door for you, that's true at the airport. But if you decide that your business strategy is to open doors for people and you're waiting impatiently for your payoff, it doesn't usually work very well. No, I would 100% agree. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of the entrepreneurs that we talk to, I guess they have a, a struggle of um, making the right decisions. They feel overwhelmed, right? So one of the things in our email exchange that you mentioned is, you know, we're going to chat maybe a little bit about decision making. And I guess I have two thought process on, processes on decision making. One is, you know, the types you're making as a leader um, with everyday operations. But there's also, in my mind, the decision making that actually determines the kind of business you operate. And so I'd like to hear your thoughts on just this decision-making process and how some of these young entrepreneurs who are getting started should be thinking about it. It turns out that the things that make someone a good decision-maker are not things that we are born with and things that we are instinctual about. And that's why Las Vegas makes so much money. Uh, it also turns out that becoming a much, much better decision-maker you only need to learn two or three things, but you need to actually do them. And so in the Alt-MBA, we teach you those two or three things. I'm happy to tell you what they are, yeah. but that's not what matters. What matters is actually doing them. So one of them is ignoring sunk costs. And that's the most important thing they teach you at Stanford and Harvard Business School. And still people don't understand what it means. <laughs> and the second one is understanding the math of a decision tree and being able to visualize possibility. We're bad at that too. We actually get stuck on one particular outcome, positive or negative, and ignore the rest of them. And the alternative is to realize you are not your decision. The decision is something you do. And if you can do it like a professional, 
you will get better results for the rest of your life. Right. And, and would you say that all decision making is usually based on, you know, the vision or mission that you have, right? Well, culture comes in. You decide what is important based on the culture around you and the culture you are building. So they make different decisions at a San Francisco startup than they do at an Ohio insurance company because their uh, belief about the world and their future is different. Yes. So you begin by understanding the culture, by choosing the culture on purpose, that then informs the decisions that you will make. Absolutely. And I bring that up because, you know, when people ask what the difference is between economic entrepreneurship or purpose-driven entrepreneurship, the biggest factor that really comes into play that we've discovered, um, you know, even talking to people at the Amani Institute and other schools, is the decision-making. The decisions you make will determine if you're going to be serving others, making social change, or if you're just going to focus on profit and, and not have that kind of positive impact in the world. Yeah, I've worked with an ambulance company through Acumen, a yeah. charity out of New York, mm -hmm. and it's called 1298. And when 1298 opened in Mumbai, there were only 10 ambulances for the entire city of Mumbai, a city bigger than New York, 10 ambulances. And now there are hundreds and hundreds of them because of what 1298 built. The interesting thing, the reason I bring up the story, is if you want to call an ambulance, you don't dial 911 you dial 1298. Mm. And the reason it's not 911 is that the phone company wanted a bribe. And they made the decision the third day they were in business, well, if we're going to make a bribe like this, what else are we going to make a bribe about? So we will proudly call ourselves 1298 from now on. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. <laughs> Well, there you go. So, and, and I see it all the time. I can see companies and their decision. I, and I do know Acumen, um, we've done some collaboration with them as well. And they're a great organization doing some great work. But, um, you know, you see the, when I see impact of certain things, like for example, this is off the wall, but I was watching a, a news clip this morning and it was about the meat industry. And they said, well, when the meat is going bad and it's browning, we, we cover it in, in other blood and then we repackage it and we resell it. And to me, this is the kind of decision-making born out of a profit first mindset. Don't get me started about the meat industry. <laughs> that would that'd be a mistake. So we share our, our frustrations. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Let's, I gotta just, I'm very curious to just understand right now, what is one thing you do every day to continue making progress as a leader and impacting people's lives? I, do one thing every day to continue making progress. Most people don't. That's it. It doesn't have to be the same thing. It's a choice. You either make the choice to go to the undiscovered territory and to go to that place that makes you nervous, or you don't. And you have a lot of good reasons not to. You're busy, you're stressed, you're behind. Uh, but the first day you don't do it is the day you've decided not to keep getting better at leading. Interesting. Yeah. So basically you're saying you have one objective each day to make sure you're moving the needle forward. No, I wouldn't even say it's an objective and I'm not, I, I resist industrializing this process. Mm. It's more emotional than that. Yeah. It is simply, you know, if, if you watch kids at a skateboard park, some kids will do the same trick over and over and over again. And other kids will intentionally do tricks they don't know how to do. And 
that's not their objective. It just makes them happy. And that's how they become better skateboarders. So I made the decision a really long time ago to do things that make me nervous, to do things that might not work and to do it all the time. And I made it a habit that I enjoy and that's how I spend my day. Excellent. I love it. Okay. So let's just say you're just starting today as an entrepreneur. Um, you're, you're hungry to make a difference in the world. Um, you want to help people. I mean, what are some of the first steps? Like it's such an overwhelming environment while it's, while the, the opportunity is immense, there's so much overwhelm. Where do you start? What would you do? I actually think it's way easier than most people believe Mm -hmm. because they've been seduced by Silicon Valley. Let's begin with this. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you should not try to raise money and you should not have an original idea. If you begin with those two things in mind, the next step is what's the smallest viable market you can serve? Not the biggest one, but the smallest one. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth thing is, can you find one person who will exchange money for what you can do for them? And if you can do that, then tomorrow, can you find two people? And if you can find six people, you're already profitable. Because remember, the business you picked is not a business that requires a giant computer server. It's just a business that you could steal, an idea you could steal, that you could bring to people who haven't been served yet. Right. If you can do that on Monday, and then on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, you will have more money on Thursday than you had on Monday. And then you can do it again. And I started this when I was 14, and I did it when I was 16, and I did it when I was 18, and I did it throughout college. That's what it means to be an old school entrepreneur. At some point, you will now be good enough at exchanging money for value that you say to yourself, well, if I had this asset, I could really do this. So then maybe you do raise some money. Or you say to yourself, wow, there is this other way I could add value that no one's done before. So then maybe you do something original. But being an entrepreneur is not a job. That You don't get hired to be an entrepreneur picked by some VC. When you see the, uh, entrepreneurs bragging about the valuation of their company, I don't buy that. I think you need to brag about how much value did you add for the people that you serve. That's it. And if you can figure out how to do that on the regular, then you're not going to have any issues. Right. And you'll probably wake up pretty happy every morning. Right. Because this is the, the, the chance we have to make a difference. And if you want to also make a profit while doing it, You can, but that doesn't have to be your goal. Your goal is just, what's the smallest viable number of people that I could connect with and improve their lives? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you are echoing what so many other great people we've talked to have said, and it is, you know, play for something bigger than yourself. This is the kind of thing that attributes to sustainable happiness. And the money, you know, obviously we're still in a capitalist system. The money is the fuel for the impact, right? So if you focus on the impact, you got to make sure you have a money system in place, but it's the, the, the primary fuel, not the primary objective. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Love it. Well, listen, I want to be respectful of your time and I, let's just give a shout out. How, how do people, um, I know we have a lot of those frustrated employees, people trying to make a transition, things like that. And I think the, the all MBA program looks like a really great opportunity. So where do they find that and how do they get involved? We only run it four times a year. 
Uh, it's not free. It's not inexpensive, but it's we think it's worth it. It's at altmba.com. And people can find my blog with 7,000 free posts and eBooks and everything else by typing Seth into their favorite search engine. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, listen, a couple bucks, you got to be able, you got to be willing to invest in yourself, right? So some people are putting a quarter million dollars in university. So I'm sure that this program you have is well worth it and a fraction of what the university would cost. Well, we'll do our best. (laughs) All right, Seth, thank you so much for your valuable time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for doing this work. It matters. I appreciate it. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast.